we're, we're in a series looking at the book of Psalms, um, specifically exploring what do we learn about God's character? Like, what is God like? Um, I remember hearing someone say one time, and I think it's a pretty accurate description, they said, if, if much of the Bible is God's word to us, the Psalms are our words to God. You know what I mean? Because they're prayers. They're the, these expressions. Um, there's about 150 of them. It's the longest book in the Bible. If you were to kind of take your Bible, physical Bible, and like open it right in the center, you'd probably fall right into the book of Psalms. And <clears throat> what's, what's fascinating is there, there's all different kinds. I want to show you a diagram. It'll be up on the screen here. This is all 150 Psalms. Each one's represented by a little bubble. And the size of the Psalm is the size of the bubble. So do you see which one the longest one is there? Psalm 119, you ever read that sucker? I take you like 10 minutes to get through. It is long, right? Um, and they're categorized, as you can see, by, um, by genre um, corresponding to the color. And genre is just sort of like out of what was going on in the person's life when they wrote it. So like starting at about 11 o'clock and going kind of counterclockwise, there are psalms of praise in there. There are psalms of trust. Um, there are hymns, thanksgiving psalms. Wisdom Psalms, there are Psalms that are for the royal uh, court. And then notice the largest section of Psalms, and this might be interesting. Lament, lament Psalms makes up the vast majority of all the different categories. And what I would suggest is this image right here, this is a diagram of the spiritual life of Israel. Interesting. I wonder if we put up a diagram of the history of your spiritual life on the screen, what would it look like? Would it have this proportion of lament psalms? This morning we're going to look at Psalm 13. It's one of the little blue ones. It's written by King David. Let me show you a diagram. These are all the psalms attributed to King David, a man after God's own heart. Look what they're dominated by. Interesting. David's life, man after God's own heart, his spiritual life, it's dominated by, at least the recorded ones, Lament. That's fascinating thought. <laughs> what exactly does that mean and does that involve and what's the application for us? Now, you might even be thinking, well, I don't even know what lament means. I mean, it, it sounds like a churchy word. Well, that's, that's okay. That's what we'll talk about. Let me explain why lament comes up in our lives. If you're following along in the outline, point number one is we live somewhere between our theology and our biography. What do I mean by that? Well, let me express something some friends of mine would say. Um, my theology right here says God's good, and He loves me, and He has my best interests in mind. My biography is that I struggle with mental health issues, and I've asked God to help me with it, and I don't know if it'll ever change, and I kind of struggle, and sometimes I feel kind of abandoned by God. My, my theology, another one of my friends would say, my theology is that God's good and He loves me. He has my best interests in mind. But we've struggled with fertility issues for years and prayed about it, and I don't know if that'll ever change. Um, another friend of mine would say, my theology is that God's good. He loves me. He has my best interests in mind. And yet I struggle with unwanted same-sex attraction. And I wonder if God will ever do anything about it. And sometimes I feel so lonely in my faith because I don't even know if I can talk to people about it. Do you feel the tension? <laughs> it's that tension between my theology and my biography. 
out of which lament psalms come in our lives. The lament psalms of the writers of Scripture, it's out of that tension that they're writing this vast majority of those blue bubbles, all of these songs of lament to God. And so the question is, what do I do with the feelings that come in the tension? I wonder, I wonder if you feel that. I don't know what feelings you have. Anger? Sadness? Depression? I'm not sure what title you would give it. But the question is, what do we do with those feelings? Right? I think there are two common responses. One is we just kind of suppress them. We push them down. If I'm honest, that's kind of my tendency. Or we can give them the driver's seat in our lives. And we know what that looks like, right? This one eats us up from within. This one just spreads chaos to the relationships around us in our lives. And I want to suggest to you that, this is point two in the outline, in the Bible, God gives us a third way, I like third ways, (laughs) of dealing with our emotions when we're in that place of tension between our theology and our biography. And that third way is biblical lament. Uh, Walter Brueggemann, he's an Old Testament theologian. He's written a lot of commentaries on the book of Psalms, spent much of his life studying the book of Psalms. And he says all of those 150 little bubbles, they're, they're typically written out of one of three places in life. Either a place of what he calls Psalms of orientation, Psalms of disorientation, and Psalms of new orientation. And you can probably kind of get a feeling for what that is, right? Psalms of orientation are like, man, life's good. It's clicking along. Life is working. (laughs) Psalms of disorientation are like, the train has gone off the tracks, and what is going on? And this stinks, and I do not like this. Psalms of new orientation are like, somehow something's changed. God's come through. Maybe the circumstances have changed. Something's happened, but I have sort of a new orientation on life. Lament psalms are sung out of and prayed out of this stage of life, a place of disorientation. Life feels so chaotic and disorienting. And the function of a lament psalm is to hold up a problem to God and go, look, do not like this. This stinks. want you to fix it. (laughs) Not happy with how things are right now. And so there are typically three parts to a lament psalm. There's a complaining part, and that's all it is, is just complaining. And it's like a lot of it. And then there's a request part. And then typically, not always, there's a, there's a place where the psalmist goes, I still trust you. I'm still hanging on. I'm not giving up. Okay? So there's a complaint, a request, and it's sort of a commitment to trust. So Psalm 13, if you have your Bibles, you can turn them on or open them up, however you like to do that, or the Scripture will be on the side screen. We're going to look at Psalm chapter 13. And again, this is one of the lament psalms. It's a very short one. It's written by King David. And he he starts with this. Here's the complaint and the protest, verse 1 and 2. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? Two, how long will you hide your face from me? Third one, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And day after day have sorrow in my heart. Fourth one, how long will my enemy triumph over me? There's the complaint. Now he moves into a place of request. Here's what I want you to do. Verse 3, look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. 
And my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. So the complaint, this was the request. Now he moves to the place of, I'm still trusting you. He says, but I, he uses the emphatic I, I trust your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your deliverance. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has dealt bountifully with me. Now, two quick observations about lament psalms in general before we dive into this in a little more detail. Psalm 13 is real neat and tidy. Complain, request, I trust. (laughs) Most lament psalms, you won't find that. It's just a mess. It's just like complaining, requesting, complaining some more, a little more complaining. I trust you, but here's my request, and I'm I'm still complaining. And it's sort of how life feels when you're in that stage of disorientation. Secondly, most lament psalms, as I said, move to a place of trust. It's interesting, there are two that never resolve. Psalm 88 and 44. Psalm 88 and 44 never get there. In fact, Psalm 88 ends in a really dark place. The psalmist says, and darkness is my closest friend. And the inference is, not you, God. In fact, in the Hebrew, the last word is darkness because the Jewish author wants the word darkness to be on your tongue at the end. And my closest friend, darkness. Reminds me of another song written by another Jewish man, Paul Simon, 1964, The Sound of Silence. You remember how it starts? Hello, darkness, my old friend, right? It's a song of lament. It's a song of holding up something that's not right and pointing to it and saying, God, I want you to do something about this. I do not like it. So let's let's look at uh, this. And notice in verse 1 and 2, he says four times how long. In each refrain, how long, it introduces a new complaint. (laughs) Something that's wrong. How long this? How long that? How long? long?" And it's expressing a long-standing sense feeling of abandonment. God, you're just not there for me. And then look, look how he reflects on it very carefully. Verse 1, he says, God, how long will you, God? Verse 2 says, how long will I, and reflects on some personal things, and then he says, how long will others? And notice what he's doing. He's giving careful up. How is this horrible situation affecting my relationship with God? How is this horrible situation reflecting my relationships like this way? How is this horrible situation reflecting or just like impacting things going on inside me? I wonder, do you do that? Like when you're going through a season of loss, uh, a season of difficulty, do you give careful observation to like, man, how is this affecting my heart and my mind, my thoughts? How is it affecting relationships in my life? How is it reflecting impacting my relationship with God. He's giving careful consideration theologically, socially, interpersonally, being very careful about all of that. And then what's fascinating is each one of these complaints, it's laced with accusations against God. He's blaming God for this. He says, um, verse 1, he says, you've forgotten. That's the sin of omission. You know what it means to omit something? You just fail to do it. But then he steps it up and he says, you haven't just forgotten, you're intentionally hiding your face from me. Oh, that's the sin of commission. (laughs) You're intentionally doing things to bring me harm, God. And then then he says something, I think this is a brilliant argument. He says this, he says, "Um, I have to rely on my own understanding, my own thoughts. 
Now, here's, here's the accusation. There's a, there's a biblical principle that says you shouldn't rely on your own understanding, but like trust God, right? Um, many of you have maybe uh, memorized Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, isn't that it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge Him, right? Do you see what he's saying here? He says, because you're hiding your suffering, I have to rely on my own understanding. God, you're making me sin. <laughs> That's a brilliant argument. I think it's really good. He's saying, you're forcing me to be disobedient to you, God. Have you ever said that before? You ever? I have. I've thought that. God, if you would have come through, I wouldn't have to be disobedient to you like this. But it's kind of your fault, God. Right? <laughs> David's not a dumb guy. He's making a good argument, I think, against God here. So, <clears throat> are you seeing the point? The psalmist is holding nothing back. He has no filter when he's speaking to God. He's being brutally honest about his crummy situation and what he thinks God should do about it. There's no filter here. Again, see, what's fascinating to me is when you, if you go back and read any of these lament psalms, do you know where the authors spend the majority of their time? It's not in trusting and it's not in requesting. It's in complaining. I mean, like, the request part is usually this long. Usually the complaint part is like this long. And it's carefully observed. That's why I keep saying that. And my question is, why does God include that in the Bible? <laughs> why does God, in fact, longest book of the Bible, the majority of the Psalms in there, they're the blue ones. They're, they're loaded on complaining. They're loaded on accusing God of stuff. Why? Why would God say, I want that in my book? <laughs> That's an interesting thought. I think here's at least one reason why. Number three in your outline, the power of biblical lament or lament psalms is at least partially in their ability to create a small but very critical space between you and your situation. What do I mean by that? Well, <clears throat> think about this. When I say, man, this is a terrible day, my sadness goes up. When I give careful observation to what's going on and I go, wait a minute, this is sadness I'm feeling. It creates a critical but important small distance between me and that. And what it tells me is I am not my feelings. When I think, man, you infuriate me, <laughs> anger goes up. When I give careful observation and I go, oh, this is anger I'm feeling. It creates a critical but small space between me and my anger. And what I realize is I am not my anger. See, through biblical lament, you identify and you name what it is that you're wrestling with and going through. And what I would suggest to you is what cannot be named cannot be healed. If you don't identify and name what it is that you're struggling with, you'll never bring it to God because you're unaware of it. And God will never be able to process through that with you. That's why God has given us these psalms of lament. And what I want us to see today is that through biblical lamenting, God is inviting us to come before Him and to lay out all of the things that are coming out of our season of disorientation, like, like, like puzzle pieces, and saying, I don't get it, I can't figure it out. He's not just inviting you to do it, He's commanding you to do it when you are in a season of loss. That's why God has given us and packed 
the book with these songs of lament. And the amazing part is, number four in your outline, somehow frustrated people's words to God have somehow become God's word to frustrated people. See, there's a danger when we neglect this. And I I would submit to you, we in the Western church, not good at lament. (laughs) We don't like, I was talking to someone, in fact, um, last night, and I said, oh yeah, I'm speaking on lament. And they're like, man, you drew the short straw. (laughs) Because our natural response is, I want a positive message. I want something happy, right? But again, our lives are dominated by seasons of difficulty, oftentimes. So when we neglect this, here's what I would suggest. When you neglect it, or even with people that you're engaging with, when, when we neglect it in the church, we're inviting people into um, either guilt, because you think, well, if things aren't going right in my life, it must be my fault. Or we invite people into denial, right? Because, well, things aren't going working right, I just need to pretend they still are, especially when I go to church because I don't want people to see that things aren't going well, right, in my life. That's not a healthy place to be. The Psalms of Lament, their, their very existence in Scripture, and, and, and it's not one or two, it's the vast majority of them. Their existence in there is telling us, it's telling you, it's telling me, God's not just inviting you. He's not, he's not giving you an invitation. It's compulsion. You need to engage in biblical lament in seasons of your life where there's loss, where there's great tragedy, and even, again, this place of complaining to God. Now, let me bring up an objection you might have in your mind. You might think, well, I remember the Old Testament. <clears throat> remember the Israelites when they're, when they're going from Egypt to the Promised Land, 40 years in the desert? Um, did they complain a lot? Yeah, like all the time, right? Like, we don't have food, we don't have this. God condemned them for complaining, Grumbling is the biblical word, I think. They grumbled against God, we're told. Isn't that what, Brent, you're telling us to do? No. There's a difference. Here's the difference. The Israelites, when they grumbled against God, they they were complaining about God behind His back, or so they thought, and then they went and got a new God. The psalmist doesn't do that. The psalmist complains but says, God, I want your face. I want you here. I want to say this to you. In fact, one thing you'll notice, any psalm of lament you read, you know how, almost, how they almost always start? Like this. God of my salvation, I'm mad at you. <laughs> my Lord, I'm ticked. But notice how they start. My God. See, that's language of faithfulness. They're invoking a relationship that's there. They're saying, because I'm in covenant with you, I want to fight. <laughs> Think about it. If you have a relationship in your life and there's trust, you can do that, can't you? If there's trust, you can bring a problem. Any of you have a relationship where so there's not a lot of trust? How safe do you feel bringing a problem? Probably not very safe. The whole point of the psalmist is saying, I'm safe in my relationship with God. There's trust. I'm in covenant with Him. Because of that, I want to arm wrestle with you, God. I want to fight. You're wrong. You're taking too long. Why are you doing this? Objection, complain. And God says, I want that in my book. He's okay with it. He invites it. He knows you need it to be healthy in your own life. I remember um, 
speaking to a woman one time um, who, she was an elderly woman in our congregation, and um, we sat down and had coffee, and she just said, Pastor Ben, I just, I can't pray. I can't pray because I'm so angry. And I said, well, why are you angry? Unpack that for me. And, and she was an elderly woman. Her parents had passed away years ago. She said, my father was abusive to me. She gave me some details. It was pretty horrific. There were other relationships in her life which had fallen apart, and she was very angry about it. She said, I, and so I can't pray. And I said, well, have, have you prayed your anger to God? She said, oh, I can't do that. And I said, you must do that. And I said, you're, I would imagine you're probably pretty angry at God. I mean, why didn't he protect you during that time? She said, oh, I, I, can't, I, I, I don't want to verbalize that to God. I said, you think he only wants to hear these prayers? Thank you, God. I like everything. I'm very happy. You don't think he wants to hear the, these prayers if I'm angry at you? I'm upset. You haven't met my expectations. I said, God wants to hear that. You must pray that. Because here's the reality. We have a spiritual enemy in our lives. Do you know what would Satan would love to have more than anything? Is for you to have a big section of your internal life that you never bring to God. He would love that. If you kept this enormous part of who you are and you never brought it to your God, that would be a massive win for him. <laughs> That's why these Psalms of Lament are here. God's saying, I want to hear about it. Let's talk. You want to yell at me? Let's go. Engage with me. One of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, he wrote a book called A Grief Observed. It really wasn't a book. It was more just almost his diary. And it was written out of a time of lament. Here's, here was sort of his story. He lived much of his life as a bachelor. He was in a place of good orientation. He had great friends. He met a woman named Joy Davidman, fell in love later in life, got married. He was in a place of, I would say, new orientation. She got cancer, and, and he prayed for her to get better, and he was in a place of disorientation, and she went into remission. He was in a place of new orientation. Life is good, but then it came back, and she died, and he was in a place of deep disorientation, and he wrote a grief observed out of that tension, out of this place of deep disorientation. In fact, when he, when he first wrote it and someone wanted to publish it, he wanted to publish it under a false name, a pseudonym, because he thought people are going to think I've lost my mind and I've certainly lost my faith. They're going to think based on what I said to God at times. These are some of his words. He, he, he writes this, What if the truth is God always vivisects? I didn't know what that word meant. I had to look it up. It means to dissect something while it's still alive. In, enjoying bringing harm. He says, What if God always vivisects? And then the very next line, he said, I wrote that last night. It was a yell rather than a thought. Boy, I like that honesty. We must talk honestly and openly to God about even our sense of abandonment by Him when that is the case. See, if you bury yourself in the Psalms, we're doing this series on the Psalms, if you bury yourself in the Psalms, you will be able to emerge with a new vocabulary, a new vocabulary with which to process your emotions, process your hurts and your disappointments. So it's not until fully lamenting, okay, David the psalmist, I mean, he, he and again, in the other psalms, he spends tons of time giving careful observance and reflection to what's going on, how it's impacting him and others and all this stuff. Then he moves in verse 3 onto this place of request, and trust. He says this, 
Look on me and answer me, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. And then, so that's his place of request. Now he moves to this place of commitment or trust. But I, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your deliverance. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has dealt bountifully with me. Point five, I would suggest that we can only praise God, we can only move to the place of thanksgiving once we are willing to trust him with our laments. See, there's a connection between biblical lament and thanksgiving, or biblical lament and and praise. They grow in the same soil, and one can lead to the other. Lament can lead to thanksgiving and praise. First of all, because lament is a form of prayer. I would submit to you, if, if you're an atheist, you can never lament. Oh, you can scream things you're angry about into the dark void, Biblical lamenting is complaining to someone who can do something about it. C.S. Lewis realized this. C.S. Lewis lived much of his life as an atheist. The first part of his life, he was an atheist, and he says, I was deeply bothered as an atheist, just as a human being, I was deeply bothered by the evil and the injustice I saw in the world. I saw a lot of it, and I didn't like it. And then he says, but I didn't believe in God, and I was also very mad at God for not existing. Do you see what he's saying? I wanted to lament. The world's broken and there's things that are just evil and so wrong. And I wanted to, lament. I wanted to go to someone and complain about it who could do something, but I didn't believe there was anyone there. So I couldn't lament in my life. Here's the point. Lament is an act of faith, not a lack of faith. When you're lamenting, and, and again, this is, I think, one of the great lies in the church, If you think when you're lamenting, it's somehow your faith is weak, no, that is a lie. That's when our faith becomes robust. That's why the authors of Psalms create the tension. That's why they spend so much time complaining and lamenting and observing and and, and arguing, because here's the reality. If If you neglect lament in your life, your faith will be there, but it'll be, it'll be anemic. It'll be weak. Something will come and it'll destroy it. If you are willing to live in the tension, your faith will grow strong and robust. That's what the psalmist did in their lives. There's a story that I uh, always love and it sticks with me. There's an uh, Orthodox Jewish man named Dennis Preger. You might have heard about him. He's an author, kind of cultural commentator. He had a radio program for, I think still does, for many years, and he tells the story of a, of a Muslim woman who called into his radio program, and as an Orthodox Jew, she asked the question, why, why aren't you Muslim? And it was a very sincere question, he said, so I gave a, a very sincere answer. He said, I can, I can give you an answer with the clarity in two words. And he says, um, you're uh, you're part of the Muslim faith. It's, it's called Islam. Islam in Arabic translated into English means submission. It means to submit to Allah. And he says, my people is called Israel. If you know the meaning of the name Israel, it means struggles with God or wrestles with God. Jacob received that name when he literally wrestled with the physical embodiment of God in, in the Old Testament. And he says, if you give me a system that says just shut up and submit, 
says, I'm not interested. But if there's a God who says, let's wrestle, interesting. And I thought that was a brilliant observation. You guys, this is the only game in town with a God who says, you have problems with me? Let's go. Let's talk about it. You're upset with how I'm running things? Let's fight. Let's wrestle. That's unique. That's utterly unique. Point number six, while lamentation may fill much of our sufferings, joy has the last word. Thank God. One author that I read this week, he had this great line. He, he was writing about lamenting, and he said lamentation, which is the process of biblical lamenting. He says, lamentation is a journey towards God, not a final destination. I love that. Because if we had a diagram of your spiritual life and it's going to have a lot of those blue bubbles, there's going to be a lot of lamenting, appropriately so, that doesn't have the last word. Joy has the last word. Many commentators, when they read Psalm 13, um, I came across this this week a lot, they ask this question, what happened in David's life between verses 4 and 5? What allowed him to make the turn? We're not told. We don't know the circumstances of what exactly was going on in David's life. We could kind of guess and look at, think about how God responds in biblical accounts when other people are lamenting. Remember 1 Samuel chapter 1, it's this woman Hannah. She's barren. She has no children. And she goes to the tabernacle and she's weeping and crying and lamenting, requesting. And God speaks to a prophet and the prophet walks over and she says, God sees you. He knows. He knows the hurt. Maybe it was that. Maybe David went to tabernacle and was crying and God spoke through a prophet. I don't know. Maybe his circumstances changed. Maybe the people who were against him, I don't know, fell off a cliff. (laughs) They're gone and his circumstances were completely changed. Maybe his circumstances didn't change at all, but God just showed up. It's like the book of Job. Remember that? Boy, talk about a lament. Forty chapters of lament. Yeah. Yeah. And Job the whole time is like, I want my day in court. God, you show up. I want an answer. I want a why. Why am I going through this? Why am I having to deal with this? End of the book, God shows up. No answer. But God showed up. And somehow, God's presence was like a balm. There's something about God's presence, about God just showing up. If you're a follower of Jesus, I promise you the most important thing you believe is that God showed up on a cross. And just as these psalms do, you uphold something and you point to it and you go, God, this is not okay, this is wrong. That's what God did on the cross. He held up the person of Jesus, the God-man. And do you realize that some of the last words on Jesus' lips, they were a lament. In fact, the most famous lament psalm there is, Psalm 22. Jesus' words of this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day. You're not picking up the phone. By night, but I find no rest. The author of Psalm 22, it's holding up and calling attention to what is deeply wrong with the world. And this is what God does on the cross. And you realize that in the act of the cross, do you know what Jesus embraces? He embraces all the things that brings me lament, which is my sin and yours. Jesus on the cross is embracing all of the things 
that bring you lament in your life. And he's putting an axe to the root of all of that. But it doesn't end there. Jesus also rose from the dead, cutting off evil, cutting off the things that, again, that bring us lament. That's why the author can say this later in the psalm. For God has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him, for dominion belongs to him, and he rules over the nations. Future generations, that's us, will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, that's the people who are coming after us, he has done it. So you and I, we're going to encounter diversity. We will. You will encounter tragedy. I will encounter tragedy in this life. But we have to realize adversity and tragedy, that's not our destiny. Adversity doesn't define us. Just like these psalms move from suffering to glory, that's our path. (laughs) We're going to go from suffering to glory because Jesus has already made that move. We're a people of destiny, and our destiny is glory. And if that's your anchor, that's why you can say, just like with the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, we're hard-pressed on every side, lament. (laughs) We're not crushed, hope. We're persecuted, lament, but we're not abandoned. He says, we're struck down, not destroyed. We're perplexed, but not in despair, because we have hope, resurrection, new creation. We're a people of destiny, and our destiny is glory. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you have loaded up your scriptures, your words to us, with not just an invitation, but a compulsion to engage in biblical lament when seasons are disorienting to our lives. Thank you that you are a God who invites wrestling. Father, I pray for for those here today who are maybe in that season. God, I stand alongside them, and with the language of biblical lament, I object. I say, this is not right. And God, I ask I ask you to act. Be consistent with your character. Would you move? And God, we also maintain our trust in you. We're still hanging on. Thank you that you hang on to us. Father, I pray that this week you would bring people to our minds in our lives who are hurt and lonely, afraid, broken, maybe in tragedy. God, that that we would obey the biblical command to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. God, may we enter their sadness. Would you please keep us from any shallow platitudes of phrases, things we would say just so we feel less uncomfortable with their sadness. But help us to enter the sadness because that's what Jesus does and did. Father, thank you for the hope that we have. Thank you that we know how the story ends. Thank you that we are a people not defined by tragedy, 
but that our end is glory. And Father, we hang on to that. We are grateful for what you are doing. Thank you that your kingdom is growing. Thank you for involving us, inviting us to be a part of it. Father, we love you. We trust you. And we pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus, King Jesus, your Son and our God. Amen and amen.